right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Sully here. We got a tough, tough draw this week. Tough, tough. We got to talk about Keegan. We got to talk about Liv in Saudi Arabia. We got to talk about Lexi at the Aramco Team Series. We got a Liv player, Adrian Otagwe, winning on the DP World Tour. One million percent chance of offending and annoying people here today. I got TC here with me. It's Monday morning in Seoul, South Korea. Good morning, TC. Good morning. We're looking out on Gangnam here. Uh, Pleased to be with my fellow dick riders. This is a dark, dark day for us. <laughs> Joining us as well, we are here actually for the BMW Ladies Championship, which starts uh, today, actually. The tournament week starts today. Mr. Cody McBride. Hello, Cody. Morning, morning, gentlemen. How are we doing? It's a beautiful day in Seoul, as you guys said. And man, kind of a tough weekend for golf overall. We have a lot to cover. I think we're going to do our best not to rehash old points, yet at the same time, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, discussion points, I guess, that are reiterating things, clarifying things. Still so many questions rolling in. Why aren't you more outraged about the Aramco team series? What does this win mean for Brooks Kepka? Keegan, all this stuff. We're going to cover all of it. What about China? What about China? <laughs> I want to remind people, though, we are just about a week out from episode one of Taurus Sauce. Our friends at Callaway, they want to remind you, you can catch our first episode next Tuesday as we land in Stockholm, play our first round at Stockholm Golf Club. We dropped the trailer earlier this week. I can't remember a stronger reaction to any, uh, any teaser that we've ever made, so we're very excited about it. Callaway is excited about it. In the meantime, they also want to remind you that our What's in the Bag videos, you can find those on our YouTube channel. A few of those were filmed actually while we were out on, uh, on Taurus Sauce. Many episodes of Film Room that they've brought you, including the 100-hole hike that Neil did this summer. Uh, there's DJ Pie's recent What's in the Bag video that went up, and a lot more. So thanks to them for their constant support over the years. And if you're shopping for a loved one or yourself this holiday season, CallawayGolf.com is where you can find them. And make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel. We're going to have some very, very, very non-live stuff uh, coming down the pike here in the coming. Sally, hundreds of people have reached out to me. Thanking me for the you would recommendation. It's an amazing golf club. It's an amazing golf club. I need to switch from the 19 to the 21 degree again because 19 goes too far. The club's too hot. Zozo Championship, uh, as we are starting to do this fall. We're going to do a quick play-by-play -play in case you are not up in the middle of the night to watch what happened. Uh, Ricky Fowler, Andrew Putnam, and Keegan Bradley. Final pairing, three-man duel, three-way match play situation, many people were saying. Um, we got to the TV here after touring the DMZ. We got to the TV here around the 15th hole. Had to kind of uh, meander my way in through an illegal stream here in Korea. It was not on TV here, which is a concern here. The, the KLPGA was on. KLPGA was on over the PGA Tour. That is correct. That's the, that's the lead event over here. I flipped it on just in time for Ricky Fowler to miss a short par putt on the 15th hole while Keegan drained a lengthy one uh, to save par. Keegan had bogeyed the 14th hole actually to make it a one-shot lead. Uh, and Ricky had his opportunity right there. First shot I see was him miss that putt and it was just like, it was the, the same exact feeling. It felt like vintage Ricky. It felt like the Ricky experience all over Ricky's again. Ricky's truly back. It was very, very much back. Uh, they go to the 16th hole, again, Keegan's nursing a one-shot lead. He hits it in the right bunker to this front right pin and hits a toe shank out of the bunker. Uh, Ricky steps up and absolutely stuffs one. It looks like it's going to be a two-shot swing. Ricky, again, yaks the short putt. 
Uh, Keegan makes bogey. Uh, they go to the 17th hole. Uh, Andrew Putnam kind of makes a mess of that one. And then Ricky and Keegan hit great drives, but Keegan hits a better approach. Ricky misses his birdie putt. Keegan drains his two-shot lead heading into the last. Ricky needs eagle. He ends up making birdie. Uh, Keegan kind of waltzes his way to a par to win by one shot. A lot of emotion ensues for Keegan Bradley as he wins his fifth PGA Tour title. Your boy, Keegan Bradley. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm stoked. He, he seems <laughs> Where's your Keegan hate come from? I don't know. I don't. That's the thing. Like, I don't know. He just, the Ryder Cup suitcase thing. Gosh, like, the, just the, the whole pre-shot routine, his whole. It's gotten better. All of his I'll mannerisms, that. all that stuff. It just, I struggle, man. And I, I, I almost, at this point, I feel bad because it seems like, Every, we were talking about it before the pod. Everybody's like, oh, he works so freaking hard. Again, I think everybody out there works so freaking hard. But it's it's just one of those things where he seems to knock off one of these big wins like every three or four years now. Limited field event. The last one was the BMW on uh, that Monday or almost Tuesday finish. Right? At Aronimic in 2018. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, but he just, it's like he's he's like a cicada. He's good for coming out every every three or four years. Just, just, just what I wrote for the record, cicadas are every 17 years, but just these golf well, He's just on a different cycle. Okay. <laughs> I think, I agree with everything you're saying. I think the pre-shot routine has gotten a lot better. He was in like, had some truly, truly, truly dark times that tied more into putting woes and everything else. And it seemed like he could just never be comfortable over the ball. Watching it yesterday, the little bit that we did, it, it was a lot, lot better. And man, there's one thing about Keegan Bradley is that the dude is a ball striker, man. Like he does not miss shots. It's incredible to watch because watching him get ready to hit that shot truly makes you uncomfortable. Ball striker for 10 years. It really is wild. I tweeted this out, but if you pull up his data golf page, like he has been very positive off the tee, very positive approach play for a decade. Like that doesn't that's 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 not common. It's not common for somebody to not battle injuries or battle a slump here and there. And it truly is. If starting in 2016, he was a positive putter every year of his career. Starting in 2016, when the anchor band came in, minus 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 the next six years after that, he's off to a. He was pretty neutral last year in 2022, and very small sample size here, starting for 2023. But it, it probably just underappreciated player strictly based on the fact that he couldn't anchor the putter anymore. Maybe that's exactly what the rule was supposed to address, like the people that are not able to handle their nerves and, and, and whatnot. But it is, it's just jarring to look at that to see. Like he's positive in every category except for as soon as the anchor band hit. It's just crazy looking at his career record too. If you throw out the Byron Nelson, which obviously stinks, you've got the, the PGA, the WGC at Firestone, uh, the BMW, the Zozo, and then he lost in a playoff to Bill Haas and Mickelson at the Northern Trust. Like, those are big boy golf golf courses, golf tournaments, all that. I, now the Zozo, I'm probably not putting that in that. It's a weird tournament. It's a weird tournament. We can we can talk about that as well. But yeah, it's really it feels like this uh, has been like documented as a career resurgence. But I guess I was just astonished to pull up that page and see how good of a ball striker he's been for a very long period of time. I'm like the DFS guys are all over him. Like he's a very solid play on a week to week basis and. I guess I'm kind of post-hating Keegan. I've never, he's never really been my cup of tea. Um, some reasons well documented. It's not even hate for it, me. It's a golf hate, right? It's not like a personal hate. It's just some reasons well documented. Some are just like really hard to like define and even come to terms with on a, on a personal It's like level. that NFL team that you just, you just don't care for how the roster's constructed. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't agree with you or whatnot. 
I think some of it too is he's like he's always got that chip on his shoulder that you know rural New England like I think he grew up pretty freaking poor like nobody like went to St. John's nobody believed in him that combined with like being kind of a mass hole like doesn't really ingratiate you to other people but if you dig a layer deeper it's like you know you got to respect the hell out of it because he's truly a self-made player truly you know he's a he's a gamer he's like dug it out of the dirt earned his career nothing was given to him and you know won a major out of nowhere yeah absolutely i think the like he said this multiple times too the hardest thing is winning a major like his first year on tour was not prepared for that success at all and everything that came with it and it, it obviously severe not just like growing pains since then but like trying to live up to that highest standard when you put yourself up there like that i, I mean it's an there's no way that I could be able to do that. Or, or very many like professionals that play at the highest level. It's, it's incredible to see him grind and grind and grind and continue to like, I mean, what? That was 12, 10, 11, 12 years ago now? Most people would be like long gone and he's continued or, to be there. Or live. Or go to live. And then you add like the thing that like, he's never been a really good putter. And then the one thing that like carried him through juniors, college, and then early on in his professional career, you take that away, and then he has to completely start again. It's incredible, man. Yeah. I just don't like his swing either. It's, it's not a, it's nothing, it nothing's done. pretty about it. It's nothing's a good pretty. swing, but yeah. it just doesn't, it's not aesthetically pleasing. It's not, yeah, it's not pretty. Ricky, but at, the, at the bottom, you can't, like, I know all the swing instructors and everything, at the bottom of that golf swing is a position that everybody wants to be in. Yeah. It's just so painful watching a guy get there. It's so hard. He still had some, the bunker shot he was getting ready to hit on 16 that he ended up toe shanking. He had the whole Keegan jitters going. The whole, you know, get up over it, pull back, pull back. Did the whole thing all over again. It was very well documented on 18% of my screen and playing through. What happened on the toe shank? Like, did it? Did it... I, I don't know if it hit a rock or what. It was, it was on the downslope and he had the blade wide open and it just looked like he just totally toe It stayed on the green. It went like 50 feet past and it was pretty easy to putt, but uh, it was, that was when it started to feel very real. Cause again, Ricky's in there eight feet or so for birdie and straight up the hill, easy putt and just did not, did not go. So can we talk Ricky? Please. I got, like I said, it kind of did feel a little vintage, Ricky, unfortunately, but it's hard to look at this and say this is anything but a huge success to start the year and, and not, not a fluky way of doing it. We don't have strokes gain data for the, uh, for the Zozo, but it seemed like his ball striking is what carried him through the week. It's, I'd be more concerned if it was just a fluky putting week or anything like that, but uh, great start to the year. He's got a T6 and now a, a T2 as well. And Almost back inside the top 100. The Butch Harmon thing. So when did he end up back with Butch Harmon? I think like a like maybe a month ago. It's it's wild. Somebody sent a question, and I, I meant to save this one, but it's wild how Butch Harmon is this swing whisperer. Uh, but both he and Claude Harmon, it seemed like their clients weave in and out of working with them so frequently. It's like, oh, Claude's out with Brooks. Now he's back in, and I I, I can't keep track of of the Harmon family and who's in with who, but. It, uh, I don't know why he would have ever left, I guess, or what he's specifically working on, but it, he's, on, he's back onto something. Because he went with Tillery for a while. Yeah, three years with John Tillery. And he continues to credit him to putting a lot of the, the base work of what this new Ricky swing is like. I think the thing with Butch, and I know everybody harps on this, is that everybody's, it's not all golf swing with Butch. 
There's something, there's more mental aspect to it. He makes you hungry. He builds you up and gets you back out there. And I think the biggest change that you've seen versus with clients who were butches that would kind of, when Butch started traveling so much and Claude would take them on the road and kind of do every event, you know, they're not doing that anymore. If you're a Butch guy, you're with Butch. And that means that you're probably not going to have Butch at weekly events or really majors. But Claude and him moving over to just being strictly live almost, you know, I think you've seen their, you know, Butch's clients shine because of it, because they're just getting one-on-one work from them. So I don't know if there's more there or not, but Ricky looked really good and his swing looked really good. And they're still working on a lot. Tell some of his iron shots, just under pressure, leaky right, a little quick turning left, but man, it's promising to see where he's at. So Ricky, going like, where's he trying to get back to from a swing perspective? Is he trying to get back to like, 2017 Ricky like pre 17 pre getting more because like that swing was kind of flawed to begin with but it worked exceptionally well and it was consistent but also like the highs were high and then he kind of tried to make his swing fundamentally better and it hurt his golf game so so he's trying to get back to that OG swing or is he trying to get back to like the you know more of like the 17, 18 versus like the 14, 15. That's out of my depth as a swing yeah, analyst. I don't know, but if you're looking at numbers, like he is, yeah, 2017 was when he was basically the best ball, the best player he's ever been. But it, Ricky hit the shit out of it again, kind of similar to Keegan for like a decade, a really solid decade. And he used to putt the lights out. I know Randy he used to be the best, best player putter the alive. I know that's a bit of a bit at this point, but there was an interesting question. Andy Johnson posed this and somebody asked us to address this as well. Whose career would you rather have? Ricky or Keegan? I think the gut instinct is to say Ricky, of course. Are we course. talking about money, too? I, I, are we just talking about career I think that's, that is a, a factor in the decision. It's a, like, it's a subject. Not off-course money. I think not off-course money. That, that's out. But on-course, I assume Ricky has earned, Ricky's earned more money on-course. Yet, they both have five wins on the PGA Tour. Keegan has the major. He's got the playoff win. He's got the WGC. I think the answer is Keegan. The, the major definitely trumps out whatever Ricky's got going. Well, you're disrespecting the players there for Ricky, so I, I, I kind of take. As a, as a registered D rider, that does hurt, but I, I'm hoping that gives me, up, gives me some goodwill with the people Ricky here, does right? have the Scottish Open. And he won in Dubai, too, I think. Right? Abu, Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. And he won the Colon Korea Open, which is a national open as well. And he won the Hero World Challenge before it was... A lot what about the Hero wins. World Challenge? <laughs> a lot of those fringe wins. I mean, he also has eight top fives in majors. You know, but he doesn't have a major win. He's got three solo seconds, or three, three second place finishes. So, two, two T2s and one solo. He's got a shitload of top five PGA Tour finishes too, like way more than Keegan does. And... I still think the major wins out. Like you're not trading any, you could have a hundred top fives and you would trade that for a major. There's a lot of money that comes with top fives, but at a certain point, it stops becoming about money. Keegan's 36, Ricky's 33. Do we think, God, that's crazy. Ricky's only 33. Do we think Ricky, like in the next three years, does Ricky, like, let's say, pause Keegan's career right now and fast forward Ricky's career three years. Let's fast forward three years. Would you, would you still take Keegan? Basically, the question is: Would Ricky is Ricky going to win a major in the next three years? Or is years? he going to reel off, you know, two or three wins over the next three years? I I still think 
three, four, five wins would not would not trump the major. I think the majors are that important. I think we also just forget about Keegan as a major champion. It was kind of like a maybe a 66%, 70% major PGA championship at Atlanta Athletic Club. It's hard, harsh words was, from your hometown. I was there. I don't really remember. <laughs> I, I would t- rather take Ricky, to be honest. And I know that's like majors or everything, but he's just been there. He's been put himself in contention so many times. He still has the hunger. He's still driven to not only be on every single team event, but man, he wants to be a major champion. And he like the dude has everything you want in the world. It's kind of one of those things where we talk about the guys like they go to live and you get all this, you know, a basket full of cash, and you're like, well, what drive do you have anymore? You could say the same thing about Ricky Fowler, but man, the dude seems pretty fucking driven to get out there and not only win PGA Tour events, but be on team competitions and hopefully get a major championship. He's just so good. And he's one of those guys that's like, he, he still has not reached his potential, which is insane to say because he's had a hell of a career so far outside of the one void, which is a major. Yeah, I, I, you know, underachieve is the word that goes with Ricky for a long time. Overrated is a word that goes for a long time. It is hard to, it, it's just hard, it's a hard career to define because he played so much good golf yet only has the five PGA Tour wins to show for it. And the other wins he has are like hard to factor into the equation. The Scottish Open's a big win. Winning in Abu Dhabi's a big win. Like that pretty much is equal to seven like big time wins on, in professional golf. And is he basically like Fino? It's kind of Fino. <laughs> it's kind of a Fino situation here where it's just, I, I, I will always be a defender of the dudes that play really, really good golf that don't get the wins that it just kind of gets forgotten about. And, Ricky was primed to have been a live candidate as well. I mean, he has, was pretty open about the decision-making process, and uh, I think there's just something to living on the same, you know, same street as JT and all those dudes in Jupiter that, you know, was like wanted, you know, you're picking really, really picking sides about who your friends are going to be going forward, and uh, he chose this path to grind it out, and that's at least like what I care about. Like, it, I don't want to pretend that I. I'm a bigger PGA Tour fan than I am, but at least the competitive side of golf ra- like rules out here, reigns out. And not to go into the Brooks stuff yet, but Brooks like talking about like, getting emotional, like talking about like, what this win meant, meant to him. I was like, no, dude, like you left the competitive golf structure to play an invitational series. Like I'm not buying this emotional part of it. Like what Ricky had to go through to get back to this spot is what interests me about the game of golf. Not everyone's going to feel that way, but that is where I stand on that. I mean, cause shit, even from a, like status perspective from a you know PGA Tour, like having a spot in the field perspective, like his sponsor exemption this week. Like Ricky needs like needed these two finishes, you know, the the at at, at Napa and at this one to get back in the mix, kind of right. I mean, he's very much like on the outside looking in and having to use career money exemptions and all sorts of stuff. And it's like, all right, dude, like you're only thirty three, like. Yeah. So it's what that was the shows post- that drive still there, man, and that's what gets me fired up about it. Ricky's always been that dude. When even when he was playing bad, he would show up and go to qualifiers. He would go play events that Ricky probably shouldn't and doesn't really have to go play in. I mean, think at U.S. Open, he hasn't been. He has gone to every single final U.S. Open qualifier when he hasn't been in the event. When other people of his level have just completely blown off, been like, "Well, if I don't get in on these next." Two weeks of good play, you know, I'm I'm out, and he doesn't. He continues to go grind and grind and grind. I, 
I think it's an interesting career arc, though, because he came up not really having to grind. He was just so freaking talented and good and won everything as a junior. He won back-to-back Sonny Hannah Ams and won the Players Am and, like, won, you know, won Big 12s at uh, Oklahoma State and all that and then came out and, like, had a bunch of success on tour and all that. So he's never really had his back up against the wall until the last few years. And he's, you know, it's like he's figuring out how to grind and how to be, how to squeeze the most out of his talent when his back's up against the wall and shit's not going right, which I think is an impressive thing to learn on the fly and to, you know, it shows some grit and some grind. Yeah, plus just just like Keegan, he's, he's just full up on perspective too. So it helps I was going to say, his life's changed further. a lot. His life's changed a lot. Like, you know, it is always interesting to watch guys go through the marriage and, and kid cycle of how it changes your routines, how it changes your perspective on things. And man, it's, it's just hard to show up when you're in periods of transition of working on your golf game, like finding out, am I working on something this week while I'm playing or am I trying to trust what I've brought to the table and how many reps, Rory talked about this in the pod last year, I think like how many reps it takes to unlearn habits that you have in there, how much work that takes and then go, it's a different feel when you go into competition. Like we watched all that play out over the course of the last three years for Ricky and I, I do hope this is, you know, giving him the runway to make a, to have a big season. Cause that's, it's an interesting story to follow. He's, Ricky, like, I know he's a popular player, but he's so unlike the, his marketing profile. He's not flashy at all. Like, he's just a extremely down-to-earth, very straightforward person. He's, like, the easiest, most normal dude to talk to, doesn't get overly excited really about anything. And I, I think it took me a little while to realize that he's not, like, this big personality. Like, he's marketed as that, and he is the most level, steady like nice normal dude that I've I think I've met on tour and he's easy to root for in that regard there's just not there's no like there's no bad intentions within him there's nothing really that you could sit here and honestly say you could dislike about him I understand the business side of it all but it almost seems like all the successes that he's had on the on the business side has also been like a major disservice to him as an individual yeah. and getting outside of like the younger fans who are really into buying their complete orange outfits and rocking flat bills forever for like most and I, and I'd probably say like the majority of PGA Tour fans that kind of turned them off. Yeah. Well, and it speaks to like Rory's basic approach has been like I'm not doing corporate days anymore. Like I'm doing like 3 or 4 a year, all right? When I'm done, when I'm not playing golf, I'm home, I'm resting. I I'm, I'm not I don't care how much money you pay me. I'm not doing it. And Ricky's approach has been Give me all the corporate days. Like when I'm not playing, I will be at your event. I will be your sponsor. And I wonder how long that can continue really, or if he's burned himself out or. I'm just so happy that we're here right now having this conversation about Ricky Fowler being, you know, realistically should have won. He only had two birdies yesterday, did not play well, had a very, very, very slow start. But man, we had some dark, dark times of him doing activations during the Masters, when he wasn't even in the field, oh, no. and the running joke of all that, you know, it was just really, really bad. That was dark. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm so thankful that he's where he's at, and hopefully just continues to to grind it out. I didn't see anyone make the joke yesterday that he was also there on the 72nd green to congratulate Keegan for the win. <laughs> Andrew Putnam. Listen, all I can say about Andrew Putnam right now, 
is that was money because when personal finance connects you to both your funds and the stuff that matters, that's money and that's Cash App. Uh, you can choose your own cash tag on the Cash App. I would say we're going to get to a lot of this. Peter Uline blading one into the water with an extra $8 million on the line for him. That's money. It could have been mo more money for him, but it wasn't. But he still, they still won. Smash. They won, but he would have got second in the individual if, if he'd have won yesterday, which is an extra $8 million. Brandon Grace making $18 million from seven live events this year. That's money. Uh, Dustin Johnson made $31 million so far, or $4.5 million per event. Uh, that's so much money. Uh, sending, spending, saving, investing, splitting, tipping, donating, gifting, or just typing numbers all in a single finance app. That's money. That's Cash App. It's fantastic. I use it every single day, multiple times a day, checking in on the markets, checking in on how the crypto is doing. It's not been great, but the bottom's got to be soon. It really does have to be. You can download Cash App from the App Store or Google Play Store today to add your cash tag to the 80 million and counting using the app. And when you use code NLU, you get a free $15 plus $10 goes to Youth On Course. So thank you to Cash App for supporting Youth On Course all year long. Putnam's playing some good golf, man. He's uh, obviously T2 here, T12 at, at Shriners, T5 at, at Memphis. He's like, I don't know, he's like raised his, his bar. I don't think anybody's getting excited about the Putnam brothers. Uh, no offense to the Pacific Northwest, but... Uh, but yeah, just solid, solid golf, kind of a nondescript back nine yesterday. Um, but yeah, just 68, 68 in the weekend. The guy that really stuck out to me as far as like playing his ass off was Grillo. Emiliano Grillo is, is sniffing around up there. He's been playing some good golf for most of the fall. Solo fourth, he had a T5 at Sanderson. It sounded like he, was, he should have won Sanderson based on what I listened to you guys on the podcast. But um, Oh, he should have won Sanderson by like four he's, he's playing some, some serious golf. And, Sahit Tagala, another T5, uh, threatened 59 on Saturday. Uh, he tied with Hayden Buckley and Victor Hovland. I realize I'm doing the TC go down the leaderboard here, but Hovland, fall is different. Hovland disappointing. He was in pretty good position after the first six holes and then four bogeys in like a five or six hole stretch and then finished strong to kind of jump back in and a little little bit fluffy T5. We need a little more out of Hovland. We need a we? lot more out of Hovland. Yeah, he's supposed to be that dude, and I, I, he doesn't have a whole lot to hang the hat on at this point. A really big disappointment on Sunday at the old course, and uh, hasn't really done a whole lot in majors and doesn't have the, the big wins to, to back up the, the really, really freaking good golf he's played. Um, Do you think Grillo's trying to get, like, he's trying to break up the fireballs? So all the, you know, all the Latin guys are on the fireballs right now. But you would think that they would have like a, like the Spaniards, Sergio, Chikara, and, um, you know, bring Otagwe back and all that. And then you bring in. But Neiman's you know, on torque, isn't he? He is, exactly. So basically you get Neiman, Mito, Ortiz, Answer, or Grillo on torque. I, I, I'm not up on all the rumors of how the teams are going to change and, and, and live. I know you, that's, that's kind of your block. but I, we, I, we can talk about that later on. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm just asking the questions. Another top 10 for Matthew Neesmith this week uh, after a finishing second last week at the Shriners. Keita Nakajima, T12 finish. Neesmith, T9 and loses a spot in the FedEx Cup. That's tough. How does that happen? The FedEx Cup is because uh, Keegan like, rocketed gotcha. up. The FedEx Cup is... it's. 
We do not need a there's, come there's some, No, we don't need to do that. There's some tough stuff. It's Keegan Bradley, Mackenzie Hughes, Max Homa, Tom Kim, and then... No one is going to believe we're not paid by the PGA Tour if we do a legitimate FedEx Cup update right now. I'm not letting this happen. No, we're not doing... We're not going down the leaderboard on the FedEx Cup. SH Kim is 16th. Hayden Buckley 17th. We don't have our mixer. I don't have my ability to mute TC with me. This is, in, this is insane. Anything else? Uh, I was looking for a 66-66 on the weekend. Mikumu Horikawa, not to be confused with Colin Morikawa, uh, shot 66-65 on the weekend to finish T16. You had a call this week that you, a certain player you think is going to have a, a big-time year, tour championship level year, that had a, had a nice week this week as well. I forget. Oh, Mav McNeely. That's right. Yeah, I think Mav's really disappointing 71 on Sunday for him this week. Finished T12. He was, he was like one of the only guys over bar yesterday or today, whatever day it is, we're recording this on Monday morning. That was this, I mean, you know, early double bogey. And then like Mav could have won this thing. Probably should have had like a top three or top four finish. He's so, going to win this year. I have a very good feeling he's going to win this year. And then Takumi Kanaya. You officially called him a fluffer this week. He was. I'm just saying he tied with Cam Young. He Are you tied, trying to get back on this? He tied with Schlong. <laughs> Fleetwood, you know, he. I'm just saying, he tied with some guys. Will you apologize for for? I will. Okay. I wow. Will. This is this is a big big step. It's, it's just like, what's the deal with this event? I mean, it's a tough spot. It was the only Asian event this year. CJ Cup is this week in South Carolina, which makes all the sense <laughs> in the world. Like guys have to fly all the way over for this and then fly all the way back. And when you've got guys like Chez. In the field, I think that just kind of diminishes the... It, it's interesting because it's in the limited field. There were still like 32 or 33 top 100 players. Like it was, but it didn't feel like a good field. It didn't feel like a, it was headlined really with the, the really big top players. It's just always weird to have a limited field event that is not a WGC. It doesn't have all the top players and just, yeah, like why do you need so-and-so playing all four days? Um, I think it's just like, all right, if we had 100 56 man field uh, that requires a flight across the ocean and the risk of getting cut like the field's going to be even worse right it's a guaranteed payday it's you know does that help boost boost the field in some way i know limited field events are what the the live fanboys are hanging their hat on like look pga tours doing the same exact thing we can talk about why that's not necessarily the case i don't have a problem with it 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 just is like a again like most fall events just very optional viewing. It's, it happens in the middle of the night. It's really for the Japan market more than it is for the U.S. market. I'm not going to ask anyone to care a lot about the Zozo. I think my interest in it is about a 3 out of 10. Yet, I think it's important for the PGA Tour to visit an enormous golf market like Japan. So, I think it's probably serving its role. Yet, at the same time, how I feel as a golf fan is just very meh. And, like, could it be better, too? Like, could it be more, you know just more like a more dynamic event right the scoring's low uh it doesn't help when hideki's t40 yeah. either that's tough this Big seems purse. like with with uh, of, yeah huge purse and a very good sponsor and i think it's sponsor that the pj tour wants to keep around but knowing how changes are coming to the fall schedule this seems like something that's going to stay and probably look at getting one of those bumped up fields next year or at least elevated events or whatever we're going to call it because I don't think it's a major, major market. I mean, Japan's like the number two golf market in the world. And I think that's what kind of shocked me here is that I know 
countries in Asia are all different and how much us and being in Korea, like the Korean LPGA is the show here, but we couldn't even get it on TV. Like we had to watch it to that janky ass streaming site that who knows what viruses I have on my computer because the pop-ups were crazy. <laughs> but I, I mean, for not showing it here, we're on the relative, like close to the same time. Uh, it, it shocked me, but. And, and there's Korean guys going nuts on the PGA Tour right now. Well, we might be, it might, we're in a hotel. It might, it, yeah. it might be in everyone's household here. Hotels But we also weird. had two golf channels. Yeah, we have two different. <laughs> like strictly golf channels. So it, I think, all right, if we're, if we're looking at the future of the PGA Tour, one of the huge things that the PGA Tour has locked down is Hideki Matsuyama's participation in this. Yeah. And one of the takeaways we've heard from the meeting and talking to some of the top players, making sure Hideki Matsuyama is taken care of is a priority. What is a way to do that? Which, despite the fact that they didn't invite him to the meeting. The, well, it was... <laughs> <laughs> I believe that was due to the language issue. Um, I think he was kept abreast of everything talked about and in agreement on it. But the idea was... Or, or an idea is like, hey, do we... Why wouldn't we elevate this event? Like, if we need to go... He's here. He's bringing us the Japanese market. We need to go serve that market in a big purse, you know, in one of the elevated. Which the rumor is he's, they're going to basically give him a stake in like a resort that they're building. Let him design the golf course or co-design the golf course, give him equity in the resort, you know, make him the host of the event. By they, who are you you talking about? Like PGA Tour plus... You know, whatever the development is. Yeah, I'm sure Srixon or who, who, you know, who, from a corporate basis, whomever. And then also, like, he'll have like an academy or like a teaching academy there as well. Dude, guys, why do we not know anything? Why has there been no additional information about the elevated events? This was such a big talking point and momentum last month of this big grand meeting, and we're making changes, and we had Jay out there trumpeting everything. God, why has there still not been any new information? Because based on like what I'm hearing is that like the momentum is evaporating and the PGA Tour is like doing PGA Tour stuff. Of course, of course they are. And why why doesn't that shock anybody? It's just the same static organization that we've that we've seen for many 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 years. It it did surprise me how fast and hard uh like doing the press conference to announce these changes and how you know you know important this was before the ink was really signed on any of it like in a very early phase they were in such a bad pr standpoint that they had to get out in front and create some positive momentum yet at the same time like things aren't weren't really very close to being signed sealed delivered nor do they they follow up on anything like they just don't like they don't follow up on anything they don't keep anybody abreast they don't they're going to have to break some shit, yes. right? Like you're going to have to break some sponsorships. You're going to have to do some uncomfortable things to make the greater good happen for these, you know, the top 30-ish guys or the top 50-ish guys or whatever. But like that's what leadership is, right? That's also not like doing the the restructuring or whatever it is very like very much justice. It's not just for those top 50 or whatever 70 guys because it also helps the bottom end. It's for the future of the PGA Tour. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it was what was laid out was best case scenario and I would be surprised if things got all the way to the finish line exactly how they laid it but out. But the crazy part was like all the guys were riding for it to happen for 2023. Yeah. 
I, I do know? think 2023 is a bonus. What they're able to elevate for 2023 was a bonus. And the big changes are going to come in 24, allegedly. And I just don't know if it's going to get... I think the, the dream of what it can be is, is, is going to exceed what it, where it actually ends up. Are they going to elevate the right events? Is it going to create the most interesting drama? I still need to be convinced on that. I really do. Um, I think it has a good chance. I just have a feeling that they're going to... There's just still a lot of mouths to feed. There's a lot of... You know, Rom being a little perturbed about certain things. Some players aren't as excited about who's in charge of running the show and all this stuff as it may have seemed coming out of that meeting. Well, it feels like at the at the risk of the you know, like which which events do you elevate at the risk of these these foreign these like Asia events, these Asia Pacific events of where do you put these in? Right? Are they just afterthoughts in the fall still in twenty twenty four where you know you guys kind of fuel up the jet and come over for two or three weeks and play Zozo and CJ and then you add one in, you know, I think you probably get rid of Malaysia and you try to add one in Australia or you try to add one in Thailand or somewhere like that where it's like there's there's very much like a, unless you're doing this during the fabric of that January to August or January to like Labor Day time frame, it just doesn't, if everything else is going to feel like an afterthought in the fall. It's a mess. It's going to be a mess. There's still, I think, still a lot of, a lot of pain to go here. And speaking of pain, <laughs> live Jetta. Uh, first of all, I want to say this off the top. What an incredible slight to King Abdullah Economic City that they call this Jetta. I mean, we all know Royal Greens Golf and Country Club is located in King Abdullah Economic City. And I just think that's an incredible slight to a, a renowned you know, global city that you know, many of us have spent a lot of time in that, you know, it doesn't get the top billing, the event billing on the name. I think that's a, that's a major problem. Let me, let me see how far King Abdullah Economic City is from Jeddah. They do get a little loose with defining the metro areas of some of the places 90 minutes. Oh, God, that's a disgrace. 126 kilometers by car. It's a total lack of respect for King Abdullah, for sure. Brooks Kepka uh, wins in a playoff. I'm just going to ask you guys this question off the top. Does this mean anything? It was pretty dystopian when Brooks is standing up there getting emotional. Uh, can, with, I, can I be really guy, cynical? With my guy, Don Boulay. Can I be really cynical? I, I wasn't buying it. It felt a little fake. It felt a little Hollywood. It, so, but like there's, there's nobody there. There's nobody in the background. It's just, it, it was like, I just saw the headline or the uh, clip this morning, the highlight. And I was like, and then, so he's working how does it work? He's working with Harmon again, and he's working with uh, he's working with Claude Harmon, and he's working with Pete, Pete Cowan. Who could say? Like I, I don't. They, they got they got the boys back I together. Don't care, they got the team no. back together. <laughs> that's 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 where I'm at. It's like I don't, I don't care. I I don't I don't think it means anything. I don't think. I mean, he's going up against Peter Uline in a playoff. Peter Uline has not been able to keep PJ's tour, tour status for four years, and I just can't like look at that and 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 think, oh man, like, wow, Brooks Kepka's back. Like he defeated his old buddy, Peter Uline in a playoff when Uline has been a below average professional golfer and basically like a four A, triple A, you know, quad. yeah, quad A baseball player. He's too good for the minors, not good enough for the majors. I, I, I can't, like, I can't come to terms with this meaning anything. Cody, it do it does that? appear though that that Peter Uline that we saw in so many years on Corn Ferry Tour and PJ Tour is not 
this Peter Uline that's playing in these live events. He clearly has found something. I don't or, know. We don't I, have any perspective on that. I understand that. But he is putting himself in contention. He's playing a lot better than the Peter Uline of old that we've seen. Brooks, I don't know what this means. I still haven't watched his, his presser. I was, I was sleeping. It's like I woke up at 6.40 this morning, so I apologize for everybody for that. But who knows? I, I know that Brooks has had a, a horrible go of it from injuries and everything else. I was honestly shocked to see him playing this well here, but I also think maybe it has to do with courses that, I don't know, maybe you've seen before or, or he just feels comfortable there. I know that didn't work out so much this week for DJ and Harold and everybody else who's been there to play the, this event on this course, excuse me, the three other times that they've held events there. Um, but I don't know. Is Brooks winning a professional golf tournament a good thing? Very much so. I don't know where that racks and sacks with the greater golf world, but seeing him win and playing well again is great for the game of golf. First round 62. I just, like, at some point, the way this season's working, too, like, is this shit rigged? <laughs> I'm, I'm dead serious. They're not participating with whatever the, uh, I don't know how to, I'll, I'll say it wrong, mean? the gaming yeah. whatever information services or whatever. Like they're not, it's not a real, a real, a real sport in that regard. They don't like give information to gambling houses. So if you wanted to put the fix in, you definitely could. I do want to shout out Matthew Wolf, 66-66, rounds two and three uh, to finish solo fifth. Or sorry, T T five. It's just so weird too. Like you got, you know, Brooks calls him Club Smash. It's team. It's team. You know, it's Smash GC. Uh, Brooks, Peter. You know, PDU line, Chase. Uh, all you know, all in the top top fifteen there. Kokrak, uh, Kokrak, Cam Smith, Bryson, and James Pyatt, all tied for uh, 21st at minus five. And this is where, uh, just setting the, where I, I, I struggled of what it all means or if it means anything, is in a point I wish I, I made last week. I made a very specific point about uh, Lopez Chikara playing an event that he did not qualify for. And the Live Puppets were quick to turn to sponsor exemptions on the PGA Tour and make a shitty false equivalence. But I find it frustrating to even have to spell this out this simply, but what I should have spelled out was that like these guys are also playing on a tour full of players that did not qualify for it. And there is a level, they were invited to this tour, it is invite only. They're sure there's like token spots available through various qualification, but it's obviously very minimal through the Asian tour and it's, it's not uh, you know, a very uh, sincere attempt at actual real qualification. They don't have an infrastructure of guys behind them fighting for their spots. Martin Keimer's spot on this tour is safe and like he's probably gonna have a really good week at some point. These guys are signed to long-term contracts and that's, that's fine Like if you wanna go do something different, that's what the money's for. But this is why the other tours and the majors don't want you because you don't, you're playing in a system that's inherently non-competitive because you have guaranteed spots. Like when Peter Uline has had to work for his spots, he's not been able to maintain it. When he's been pushed by the thousand guys behind him, that's a threat that, ev that lives in every player's mind. Every player that has status is thinking about all the dudes behind them that wanna take that spot. When you take that away, your competitive infrastructure is really hard to gauge what it means. I think that's the entire, point I want to make about why it's so important for qualification because 
you're, it's just math, like a 48 player field with bottom 24 being not very good players. You're gonna have a Joaquin Neiman in the top five a lot, and I don't know how. I know Joaquin Neiman's really good. I know Brooks Kepka is really good at his best. He's proven that. I don't need you guys playing on this tour over here in an inherently non-competitive environment when you should be competing against the Rory's and Scheffler's and Morikawa's. That's my overall point on this just like, it, it does not mean much of anything to me to, to watch these guys win these events. And the other thing is like, if somebody's getting a sponsor exemption into one, two, maybe three events here or there, or it's what, a max of seven if you're not a member, like, then, you know, that's is what it is. But those when guys James have to go play, play getting yeah. one every single yeah. week. And those guys have to go play against a field full of qualified players. That's the difference. Like it is, that is enormous. And again, I said this last week, I know that's not sexy. And I know, you know, I'm not going to win over any doubting hearts and minds in terms of what that means, but it is extremely important. Extremely, extremely it's important. It's a sample size. Yes. Yes. I get it. I understand the points that you guys make all the time. But I also understand that this is new. And this is for a first-year startup. They have done phenomenal from what everybody thought that they were going to do. And I understand... Depends on how you define that, but yes. We, I understand that we get to this point where we're like, wait a second, what does it mean? And I agree with you. I, I don't quite understand what it means. I have a hard time understanding and trying to figure out similarities of what you can compare it to. But this is something new. This is, you, you can't compare a live event to any PGA Tour, to any DP event that's out there. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. Because these players have all signed contracts that say that they're okay with that. Now when it comes to OWGR and getting points and everything else like that, should they get points? I will say yes. They need to make changes, and I know they understand that, and they eventually will. Who knows what where they decide that, but should these guys be getting world ranking points? I will go with a yes, but the tour needs to change. Right? There's just players that play on live that are too damn good and need to be you know, identified for the rest of the world. Will it, they get a lot of points that all the live bots and live themselves and everybody thinks that they should? because they're trying to compare them to PGA Tour events that people have qualified, they've earned their way in, everything else like that? Hell no, absolutely not. They're gonna get minimal OWGR points because that's where it racks and stacks based off of the rules that OG OWGR set forth, but also really where these events are at. I understand we can sit there and watch Brooks get super emotional. I understand that people ride for the shotgun starts, but there is a lot behind somebody. Ricky yesterday, having to sleep on the lead. You know, being in that last group and seeing waves and waves of guys go out in front of him. Playing, starting on hole number one and having a horrible slow start. Why? Because he's feeling everything about the competition and the pressure of that competition and knowing that he needs to get to 18 to have the lowest score to win that tournament. People who are in contention with him playing either in his group or the group behind him or seeing somebody rocket up the leaderboard. That all comes with the traditional four-round structure, tee times that we are used to. And I think that adds a lot of pressure to ultimately, you know, whoever ends up winning. But that's what, like, I, I, and I'm hard, it, it's a hard spot to be in because I know that's a traditional way of thinking. But at the end of the day, what's the difference between 
a live event who's a shotgun start and I understand it's more for the vibe and, and television and and by the way, it was on TV here, replay coverage or, or maybe delayed coverage, but it was on TV in Korea. It, it like doesn't give me any juice. But that's not saying that it doesn't, it, it's not like a, a serious event for them. It just can't be compared to what we're traditionally used to. And I think that's why I don't think you can give them world ranking points because you can't, you can't compare a closed system with open competition. And it's why there's a... I, I, again, a kind of a misconception amongst a lot of people, I think, in the, what the OWGR is. It is not an independent body. It is not a governing body. It is not sanctioned by the game of golf to, you know, make a world ranking system that is the most fair for all golfers on the planet to evaluate your talent. It is the biggest golf tournaments and tours coming together to say, look, there's a lot of shit going on in a lot of places and we need to figure out how to rank people. Let's come up with a set of agreements, a set of rules that everyone around the world, if you want to participate in the Masters and the U.S. Open and the PGA and the British Open or the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour, if you want to get in through a world ranking, your tour's got to be set up this way. It's got to be driven by competition, the open qualification. You know, there's got to be an average field size of 75. There's got to be a cut. There's got to be a threat level that you might be going home. Um, there's a reason why they don't set it up with a, a closed circuit. Do I agree that Dustin Johnson's an incredible talent? Like, there's no one doubting that, but he's not playing in that system anymore. And it is the live guys that want to play in the OWGR system. The OWGR system was represented by the tours and the majors. That's what they want to do and not play by the rules. So in that regard, like, if the OWGR was this overarching, beautiful, you know, uh, system that was just meant you know owned by the game of golf the theoretical game of golf i would agree like they're playing golf they should get points but they're not playing by and i'm going to use this in quotes like the rules of golf as they've been made for the professional golf tours and i i don't know how you i just again you can't measure what it means to beat james pyatt when he's been given a spot in the field for eternity like for as, as long as we know like we don't have any baseline for his talent. He didn't go beat out a ton of players for it. The other thing, like the only reason the OWGR points matter is for the majors. Yes. Right? And so, there's nothing saying that Liv can't go to any fucking major and, and negotiate or whatever and try to figure out, hey, can our top four, top five guys get That's more realistic, I think, than getting OWGR points. I think that's the most realistic option to getting their guys in majors. And I think also, though, to that point, like Taylor Gooch got in the BMW PGA through his top 50 ranking. So as of now, the path to DP World Tour events can be, you can get in until the, the hearing in February or March, whenever that is. These guys have sued their way into that. And like, you can. It's just funny because like, it, it was all about, we, we don't want to play that much. Brooks's quote this week blew my fucking mind. It's the best I've felt in three years, and the golf swing has started to come around. I'm excited. It kind of sucks. We only have this event in Miami left and a bunch of time off. Like, they're just trolling us at this point. And then what's the deal with the... Cody, we were talking about it yesterday with the, the team points. I don't know. They just straight up, like, changed, the, the, yeah. changed which rounds count or how many rounds count. It went from, like, one and two... Rounds one and two only counting two individual scores for the team score, and then round three counting three to, like... Round one counting two, round two and three is counting three. I know that's all changing at uh, Doral for the actual team championship. But what that, where, where that really brings us here is that you're talking a lot about qualification and who knows what system. I think at one point in time they were using the Asian tour and trying to say it. There just hasn't been like Asian tour events. 
who knows? I'm sure they'll figure out a way for that. But also relegation, right? The four, the four aces who are the best team in this league are going to lose. They are not going to be team champions, right? They will lose in Doral because of Pat Perez. All right? The who shot 77 <laughs> yesterday at, at is, There is Greens. no reason why Pat Perez is making the money that he is. It's incredible. That's there has to be some, like, the guilt that that man has to feel. Oh, he feels none of it. Which let me I say, understand. Let me right there. But a, a normal human being? Yeah. Like, oh, man. Like, what is going on, man? So there's four teams that have not finished in the money. Can we close the OWGR point before we move on to that? I, I, I just, I want to, again, clarify, like, the shotgun start doesn't bother me that much when it comes to OWGR points. 54 holes doesn't bother me that much. I think it should be discounted. Uh, the, where the, the source of the money does not bother me. The moral issue of any of that is not why. Listen, unfortunately, in this year of 2022, we are beyond where the money is coming from. And the reason why I say that is because we can be up in arms. Oh, my God, this money and everything else like that. We can have all the people come and say, oh, but what about all the money that they invest in? And, and you name these stocks and companies and what do they own that you guys use every single day? We're so far beyond that that in April or excuse me, in October of 2022, that we can literally have a professional golf event that is sponsored by the PIF held in New York City. And that was the Ramco Team Series this last weekend, the ladies. People do not care anymore. Now, select individuals, I understand, can still stay there. But man, sports washing, whatever you want to say it, it works. It works. It works. I think it is a very, def I think it's a defeatist attitude to just accept it, though, because like, that's what they're counting on. They're counting on that they will wear you down on the moral outrage front, right? And I, I, as like world events really ramp up in terms of what Saudi Arabia is up to, it's just harder and harder to like ignore, for me personally, and it's different for every person. There's so many people, not so many people, there's a very loud uh, minority out there that like does not give one single shit about where the money comes from because they believe the entertainment value exceeds that that aspect on the moral scale or whatever. But if the I entertainment value was exceeding that, then there'd be more than 25,000 people watching. That's why it's all like, like I, I was emphasizing last week, their only real successes, I would say to this point, have been their ability to manipulate people with money. Like they can't, the, thing, the problems they can't buy their way out of, they can't do. They can't, they haven't won in court yet. As far as, I mean, that's to be determined, of course, but they lost the TRO. They can't get a TV deal. They can't get OWGR points. The Capitol Hill visit was a total shit show. Like, just counting on their money has been their only real success. Third leg, Greg, man. I'm just trying to add a, 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 the opposite point of view of this whole thing. I, I get it. I understand. Um, we didn't talk about Aramco. That's also, not, also yeah. in, in like world news last week, like Saudi Arabian government literally beheaded people because they refused to move out of their homes because that's where Neom, like the, the line city is going. Straight up killed people because they Did they already kill them? I don't know if they issued them a death warrant on them, but well, I don't know if they right. already Either killed. way, I don't yeah. know if they've actually not good. done the deed yet, but... but and, right. then the, and then the one prince I saw was saying that, you know, our entire society is a, is a product of jihad and... I have the quote for you if you'd like that uh, Hell yeah. accurately said. A, a cousin of MBS said, to the West, anybody who challenges the existence of this kingdom, we are all projects of jihad and martyrdom. 
So yeah, it's, that's where it's like, I, I just, I, I, I know they're counting on people to get past all this stuff and I personally am not able to. Like it's just, it's amazing to hear Phil's comments and stuff this week, which, uh, which we can get to, but I do gotta get to something else first. I don't know if there's gonna be a good place to transition to this. You play your best golf with the Rapsodo Mobile Launch Monitor, the number one rated personal launch monitor on the market today. It features incredibly precise measurements, remarkable accuracy, data-rich visuals, the new performance combines. The MLM is the mobile launch monitor to help the grinders, the range rats, the randies, and the golf junkies get better by delivering more insights and structure to every practice session. It's got Doppler radar that works right on your iPhone or iPad camera. The Rapsodo MLM ensures that every golf ball is tracked. It's incredibly accurate. It gives you shot tracer for every swing. It visually charts each shot for a better understanding of your consistency, accuracy, the length. Basically, your whole shot patterns are shown by the end of a practice session. They got all kinds of great features. They got performance combines, uh, the end designed by industry leading and trusted golf expert, Dr. Sasho McKenzie. The performance combine utilizes over 100,000 shots of PGA level data and 20 years of data directly from Dr. McKenzie's work. And you can get the launch monitor that every golfer needs, the MLM from Rapsodo, the official launch monitor of no laying up at rapsodo.com slash NLU, promo code NLU for $100 off the MLM. Again, rapsodo.com slash NLU, promo code NLU for $100 off the MLM. I think the Ironheads might need to invest in some Rapsodo. <laughs> it's not going very well. For hey, why, why, did, uh, why did Martin Keimer WD? Uh, wrist injury said he felt a pop in his wrist uh, during the second round. Because he was minus nine. Yeah, he playing was right very, very good. And speaking of WDs, Kevin Na appeared to be like on death's doorstep. Uh, I'm sure you guys have experienced because we've done quite a bit of like big world travel before in our lives up to this point. But when you get sick and like catch a random bug somewhere and you're in a foreign country and you have nothing there of like comfort, he got really, really sick last week and was like getting IVs and, and everything, picked up the flu. Continued over, obviously had to fly straight to Saudi Arabia, just could never like get it kicked. He looked horrible, visually like shaking on the golf course, stumbling around, like just a tough, tough scene. That's wild, yeah, for an independent contractor to have to go show up in Saudi Arabia like that, that's wild. What feel, a, feel horrible. What a myth for Liv too, like to, like we're sitting here in Korea and there's like, 10, I mean, I know Kevin Na's American, but like he's a Korean American golfer, right? And there's, there's like 10 other Korean, Koreans or Korean American golfers that I would have picked before Kevin Na to build a team around. They might have, just did, couldn't get them. True. I mean, the Ironheads have yet to finish in the money this year. Uh, there's, there's four teams that have not. Uh, so this is the other thing about Liv, like, I'd be pissed if I was one of the other guys that like DJ got to pick his own team and granted he saddled with Pat Perez, but also he's got Taylor Cooch and Patrick Reed. Yeah. It, whereas like, you know, Torque, Ironhead, Punch, I'm worried about Punch and the Niblicks have yet to finish in the money on any of these. I think that that's just where it's like, dude, like who do you like take that up with? Who are you like? I'm outraged with how you guys are distributing this money. Like where is my representation in this league? Like fix this problem for me now. Who, who do you go to there? Well, and that's kind of the thing that like I get back to of like, you know, the Greg Norman, like to your point last week about all their successes have been just solely predicated and based in money, right? Greg Norman, like, at what point do they just tell him, like, take a hike, man? Performance 54 did all the branding for this shit. 
the niblicks, the cliques, <laughs> smash GC, like all this stuff. Like it's terrible. I mean, like, like they failed on all the basic branding elements and, you know, all like the, the clarity of, of the actual competition. And it just, it blows my mind. I'm like, you're spending all this money. Like you could get better, you know, better services for this money. Right. And I think that the PGA tour, I've said it 15 times now, the PGA tour has gotten super lucky that it's third leg Greg running this thing. Cause like once he's not running it and they bring in like a competent operator, it's going to like, it's going to be a lot more of a competitor. And I, I, I would be stunned if first event, I'd, I, I stunned to, I'd be surprised first event of 2023 if, if third leg Greg was still the commissioner of this league. I think it would, based on what we're hearing, just there's enough rumblings that I just don't, I don't think that he is long for this job. And he's probably going to pretend like this was the plan all along. I just needed, they needed a big name to get it started. And I think that's going to change. But can we talk about Phil's comments this week? Sure. Um, Phil said, for a long, long time, my 30 years on the PGA Tour, pretty much all the best players play on the PGA Tour, at least for the last 20 years. Uh, that will never be the case again. I think going forward, you have to pick a side. You have to pick what side do you think is going to be successful. And I firmly believe that I'm on the winning side of how things are going to evolve and shape in the coming years for professional golf. He continued, until both sides sit down and have a conversation and work something out, both sides are going to continue to change and, and evolve. I see Live Golf trending upwards. I see the PGA Tour trending downwards, and I love the side that I'm on. Cool, man. Cool. Very cool. Also potentially contributing to the, down, the downward trend of the PGA Tour by uh, allegedly cooperating in an investigation from the Department of Justice against the PGA Tour. So, yeah, you might be, that might be a little uh, uh, some of the reasoning behind that statement. I thought the more interesting thing from Phil this week was just, you know, confirming or, you know, insisting that it was not an interview. Yeah, we, can, hopped on. we can get to that. So with the, the final individual live event of the season in Saudi Arabia, it marks Mickelson's first trip to the country since his inflammatory comments earlier this year to author Alan Shipnuck. When Mickelson suggested that the, the Saudis were scary motherfuckers to get involved with and that he was overlooking the country's horrible human rights record because it was a once in a lifetime opportunity to reshape the golf landscape. Mickelson apologized for those remarks, which he claimed were off the record and out of context and took an extended leave of absence this spring, causing him to miss both the Masters, where he's a three-time champion, and his title defense, the PGA. Asked Thursday if he'd changed his opinion, Mickelson said, so I will reiterate, I never did an interview with Alan Shipnuck, and I find my experience with everybody associated with Live Golf has been nothing but incredibly positive. And I have the utmost, the utmost respect for everybody I've ever been involved with. Bottom line, period, point blank. Just cool. obfuscating, just really trying to get off on this technical definition of what an interview is. Of course, no follow-up challenge to that, really. He did not have way. sexual relations with that woman. And it was that, that moment this week was just very much like a, like a God, why, why did, how did all of a sudden become my job to like call out when people are just directly lying to you? Why aren't more people upset when guys just directly lie in front of you and try to pretend like, like you're not smart enough to figure this stuff out? It's crazy. And, and you know, the high flyers not playing well either. So <laughs> I'll say this. A couple weeks back, there was a, a Rolling Stone article that came out that I was quoted in. I got got. And the author completely did me dirty. I was setting him up for an interview for uh, a podcast that I, that I have downrange. And it had to do with military stuff. And I was coordinating with him. And he asked me a question because he's been doing a, a great deep dive into things that have been going on 
uh, around Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And that's what the interview was going to be for. And he asked me a question. I was, my primary focus was coordinating times for this interview to be done. And he asked a, a throwaway question in there if I know one of these individuals. I said, yeah, great guy. I served with him. Uh, he's not involved with all this other crazy drug deaths and everything else like that. He actually ended up dying of, of natural causes. And, and oh, by the way, does next Thursday look good for you? Next thing you know, this article comes out like two days later, and I am quoted in there by name, by position, by unit affiliation. And I'm like, what the hell? I immediately email him back. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? None of this was on the record. And he said, Cody, every correspondence that you have with me is on the record unless you tell me that it's not. And I was like, whoa, my world's collided. Brain exploding moment. And I thought immediately back to this moment, to Shipnuck sitting in his car, which he says that he took that interview on his way home last fall during the wishbone brawl. He was actually driving and one of his kids or his kids were with him, actually had to get out of the driver's seat. Alan has very specific details, facts of these events that took place. And for Phil to say that it's not an interview, I think he probably got got just like I did. I never said this is not on the record and case in point, it still stands. Phil's been around long enough to know For that. Sure. Well, he was, like Alan has said many, many times too, of like, I was writing a book about him. I've pestered him for an interview, an interview. Like, I, you know, off the record is an agreement between two parties. And of course, anything he said, like, if you're Phil, you've done media for 30 years, you know when to say off the record. And the brilliance of what Phil did this week is that statement is so outlandish and so ridiculous that you forget what he said. He's in the country about the people that he's talking about. And now the story is about him lying about the interview and not the actual comments. Like it was actually kind of brilliant obfuscation or whatever you want to call it of just uh, uh, running a, a surprise, a surprise play, if you will. Hey, that's the Phil Mickelson that we're used to. Not the neuter dog who's been up there for the first six months. So it's kind of nice to see that guy back. Hopefully his, his game, who knows if that comes around, but. How about the henna tattoo? <laughs> yeah, that was wild. I don't know, a lot of, uh, of like gorilla references. I kind of thought, you know, the old school uh, Mike Tyson boxing game where his, his arms were up in the air. I thought that's what it kind of looked like. Cleaning out the rest of the list stuff for the week. Varner, uh, Harold Varner's comments on OWGR, he said, for me, I think we knew what we were getting into. I think it's easy to sit here and say what could happen, what should happen, but obviously for me, I knew what was gonna happen. Like it wasn't gonna be easy. I think the people that lived did an unbelievable job because I don't know about the check marks. Honestly, I could care less. I knew exactly what was gonna happen. I knew what could happen in my career and I accept that. As Graham McDowell's sitting up there like, they need to take official out of the official world golf rankings. They're up there doing the interview together. I was like, all right, Harold, keeping it pretty real. I respect that. I Her do respect Harold that. Harold missed his, his kid's birthday. Oh, Pat Perez has got to be so upset about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, hate, I hate the unintentional irony there. Uh, are you guys worried about the Majestics? You keep trying to make us care about these teams. But I don't. First of all, let me just say we don't care. I just I, I keep going back to like these team names. A are so fucking stupid. All right, but the Majestics after a really hot start, tenth place, seventh place, seventh place, the last three events. I will say I'm worried about the Majestics just debasing themselves on Twitter between Poulter and Westwood <laughs> on a weekly basis. I was trying to give you a segue there. Poulter uh, blows up Jamie Weir using a clip from our podcast from July that was like 
not a gotcha at all. I, it was a British a, Open live show, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't understand at all what he was going for. Uh, him and Westwood just continue to embarrass themselves on Twitter on a, on a weekly basis. Um, can, we play, can we play a little uh, This Week in Misleading Headlines? I think we, this may need to be a new segment on the show. Uh, I'm going to need you to, you're, TC, you're in charge of saying left click, as in, oh, I want to hear more about that, okay? So ESPN said, Hideki Matsuyama, live players should earn world ranking points. Left click. Okay, let's go check this out. Uh, actual quote, I think they should be able to, however, there's a procedure they need to follow. <laughs> Next up, Sports Illustrated. An official World Golf Ranking Committee member thinks Live Golf should get points. Hmm. Mashing down on the left. Left button. click, who is that? Oh, it's the Asian Tour CEO who has to recuse himself from the process, who nominated Live uh, to get OWGR points. They are trying, they are sheepishly, uh, shamelessly trying to get us on these headlines. And again, somehow part of my job description became calling out a horrible headline. Which right we gotta, now. you gotta watch Sports Illustrated these days. I think they're, yeah, they, they've got some conflicts of interest. I think. Well, it seems to be a, a kind of a the slow migration of some other publications as well. You don't know if they're in the bag, outside of the bag. They're trying to just be the the unbiased journalists that they claim that they are, but tend to be running with a lot of very bag pro bag adjacent. Yeah. I just first of all, one thing I need to get off my chest is bias. All right. Love this, TC. Love this. So. People use bias incorrectly, just from a grammatical perspective. Like, you are biased. No, I'm, I'm biased. <laughs> I'm not biased. I'm not Len Bias. <laughs> right? You're talking technically. Yes. I thought you were talking about yes. the actual definition here. You're yeah. talking about the grammar. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, and yeah, the, the whole bias thing of just, A, I think probably everybody's biased. I don't think that we've pretended that we're not at any point like we're like we are an opinion you know we 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 state we try to be factual but also we we inject our opinions so my my opinion on bias and this is not the way a lot of people see it it may not be the technical definition would be like it would be as if um my brother which i don't have a brother if my brother was an executive at the pga tour i would be viewing a lot of my opinion and commentary based on this bias of I have this close relationship with somebody who's making the decisions and I'm going to try to view it through the most optimistic way possibly for that person because I have a direct family tie into that decision-making process. And I can definitively say that is not where I'm sitting from. I, my bias is towards what I think to be the most interesting and entertaining golf. And I, so you are biased towards something, but it's like everybody's biased towards something. It's your personal preference. I, I think that is in the best interest of our audience and golf fans. And if I had a financial bias towards Liv and I was greatly encouraged to say great things about them and that was at the, you know, the expense of the audience, that would be the kind of bias that we should be, people should be trying to detect in their people that they get content from. That's my stance on this is like you can I, I I don't know how people accuse us of being biased in favor of the PGA Tour if you've listened to this show for four plus like, years I like, I'm like six of the last ten episodes I've been on I've called for Jay Monahan to lose his fucking job and I un I do understand the confusion of like what the hell you guys shit on the tour so much why don't you like live and I the again the iterating that stance is just like 
you can have the viewpoint that the PGA Tour falls short on the entertainment aspect of the game of golf and has for many years. On so many different things. So many different levels, and that is a, a point we continue to maintain. And you can also think that this alternative is not going to be the answer for the future. Yeah. And that's where I sit. Like, I'm not going to tell you diff like you should feel differently or you should hate live or, or whatever. I'm just, that is where we are always on this show going to talk about how we, directly how we feel in the most authentic way. And I'm really tired, annoyed, frustrated with that, that like integrity aspect of it constantly being challenged on a baseless level. If anything, we could have accepted money from live or live really? adjacent stuff and like lives like i'll be candid like live's been very good for our bottom line right like you know ratings are up or like you know downloads are up and people are you know i think everybody's got fatigue on it now i know i certainly do but at the end of the day like it's it's given us something to talk about during kind of otherwise juiceless weeks like we're not sitting here pretending like the shriners or the Sanderson Farms or those tournaments are, are the end-all be-all or are, you know, some sh shining example for the PGA Tour. It's like, you know, and I think there's certain things that the PGA Tour can and should glean from live to improve their product. Like, I think the team stuff has a place in golf, right? The um, tour will fuck that up. <laughs> but, but that's, and that's the other thing. It's like, like, I'm the first one to raise my hand and be like, yo, like, I... I despise a lot of things about the PGA Tour. I despise a lot of people that work for the PGA Tour. I think that like, just the, like the way that they they run like their processes, the way that they run everything, it's just such a the status quo is the status quo, and it's not going to change. And it takes some. It's just a glacial organization. They're inherently uncreative. They're they prioritize a lot of the wrong stuff. But even then, like comparing and contrasting what I value and what I believe in from a golf perspective against live i'll take the pga tour it's yeah it's choosing between two bad options really yeah. and i think we were very in favor of the pga tour being disrupted when it was through the pgl and through this concept of like a merger of some kind between the pgl and tour that and there's relegation and you earn your way in and it was going to involve all the top players and again i've said this a million times on here that a huge reason why a mega not down with live is it's going to lead to a fractured golf world at best. We, they're not going to get everyone. So no matter what, we get more golf. Sure, like a lot of, some people are just a fan of having more golf on at different times at different places to watch. I can get that. I do. I would rather see Dustin Johnson and Cameron Smith compete against the top players in the world. It's a, it's a, it's a shame that their talent is being wasted over on an invite-only tour. I don't I even mind. Like on the limited field stuff like we were at bmw that was 70 players 70 top players on pga tour cam was in the mix at that point like you know that was before some of the guys left as well and like at no point was my enjoyment of that tournament at all encumbered by having only 70 guys in the field if anything they went off in twosomes and it was a better viewing experience on site right so it's like i don't i think 48 is probably a little bit light but i think that 70 to 80 range is like for some of these elevated events I, don't, I have no problem with that, right? And again, the difference in 70 to 80 that qualified to be yeah. there is different than a closed system. And, and it is open to guys being able to play their way into it and things like that. I can't stress enough how vast that difference is. Any reaction to any of this, Cody? No, it's hard, hard, hard spot for me. I agree with what you guys are saying. I think the more, the more that you can get the best players in the world together to play, the better off the game of golf is, the game of professional golf. That's not really why I enjoy golf, though. And really, professional golf is not why I'm into golf. 100%. But 
at the same point in time, me personally, the things that I've done in my life, I would be a hypocrite if I, just like I said earlier, like I have done things on behalf of the Saudi government. I am in a very unique spot. I see all the bad shit. I know all the bad shit. I've talked about all the bad shit. But, man, it's just, it puts me in a, in a tough spot. I care about the money. I know I said earlier I don't care about the money. I think, you know, I want to take that back because it does matter. And you kept bringing up the point and of people being bought and successes and everything's been because of the money. And I agree with you on that. But I also think that these guys made their choice and that's a choice that they're going to have for who knows how long. And really nobody does until like the, the fun like decides we don't want to do this anymore. But this is the way it's going to be. And I'm constantly trying to find the optimistic approach of like, this is life. So let's make some fucking lemonade. The guy, yeah, the guys who are set that are playing on live that are going to be playing in majors, they're fine. I respect the hell out of HB3 for saying, yo, I came over here because they were gonna pay me and this is money that I can take back to my community, my foundation, and do everything that I never dreamed of being able to do. I don't need that. I knew coming over that I wasn't gonna get a point. That's great. All the other people who are bitching and crying and complaining about it, when you add it in there, the Polters, the McDowells, that bucket of people, I struggle with that. But I think it goes back to like what ultimately Liv can do is instead of all this crazy shit and Mina tour loophole and let's try to figure something else out, like just go to the majors and say, hey, for, you know, top five that are already non-exempt, can we get spots? And I think that will get us to the point where we can see those guys again. Yeah, I, I, I constantly have, have said, I, I believe I've been very consistent on this of like, dude, like I just don't have that much of a problem with guys leaving and going to go do it. Like I don't. Just go do that kind of, you can't have all things is, yeah, is what is causing a, a big divide. That's I, an issue. Like the guys who want to have it both ways and every way. You know, and, and I get that, but also they need to realize and like admit like, yo, your justification that your agent or whoever at Live PR like gave you for, in order to accept this and leave the PGA Tour of, you want to play less, like that's just clearly not the case for the majority. For some, for the Brookses and DJs and, and those like high level dudes who are set, that's cool. I think it's awesome that like the Aussies are finally going to go back and the majority of them are all playing Aussie PGA, Aussie Open. I think they're doing like another like big like McManus-like pro-am in Australia around the same time to kind of round that out. So Aussie golf has like all of their guys back. You know, I think that's great. And I, I would like to see the PGA Tour like we talked about before come up with an elevated event or, or get golf back to that market. But I don't think they ever will because they're like, they can't get out of their own. Fucking. That's the whole thing with the PGA Tour is like, all right, you want to be the global tour? You want to be the golf tour in the world? You got to go play the world. You can't just say, we're going to choke off the DP World Tour. We're going to kill off these Australian events. We're going to, we're going to choke off global golf, consolidate it all in the U.S., and you got to come here. Like, I, I feel like that's fine and great from the West Coast swing through, you know, the U.S. Open. 
But after that, it's like you gotta give and take a little bit, right? Yeah, and that's I, I don't know how I feel about that because I uh, this is where I will fully admit bias of like I would like my United States viewing times to be my United States viewing times, you know? Like that's that's a hundred percent a bias. And we get I people when people say like you view things through the American perspective, it's like yeah, dude, like that's that's kind of what I, what I think we're representing here. But also, I, some of it is like I love waking up and watching European tour golf on yeah. Saturday and Sunday mornings at yeah, yeah. seven a.m. I know? think it, yeah, and that that's. Or it's like you get up and watch F one. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes you this know what I mean. Too busy. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like one of those things where I don't know. I just feel like there's a certain sense of like for me, it's less about where the money is coming from. Like, I, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't love that. And that sucks. But at the end of the day too, it's like, should, should some private investment fund, I don't care if it's the Norwegians or the Canadians or the Saudis like run golf. It's like, I'd be like, I don't want the U S government running golf. hundred percent. hundred percent. I think that's enough about Saudi Arabia, let's get to the Aramco series, okay? Well, I'm sorry. And I know that this is maybe like more of a, a trap draw thing, but like the actions that, the number one thing that people in America are seeing right now that has a direct influence from the government of Saudi Arabia just so happens to be through the sport of golf. The actions on the political side that the country of Saudi Arabia is doing to the country of the United States the majority of the European Union and everybody else who deals in oil right now are so fucked. All right? If you want to talk about like global conflicts, the decision that Saudi Arabia made with Russia last week is fucked for the world. All right? So, and you're talking about the OPEC yes. uh, supply, you know, taking down supply. The, the Which, this is a golf this? podcast, but this, this somehow, somehow is related to golf yes. now. Yeah. The through line is crazy. LP or the women's, you know, ladies European tour event, which so many people are like, this is an LPGA event. No, it's not. It's a ladies European tour event, which I don't know what the affiliation is between ladies European tour. It's a joint venture, European but like, tour. this is not on the LPGA tour schedule. But anyway, there's a, um, you know, it's like, they, it's not like the, Piff, it's the Aramco. <laughs> it's, it's the state oil company of Saudi Arabia, which is a party to OPEC and all that. Like, it yes. has a direct relationship. Yes. You know? Oh, by the way, this week, the, the event at Trump Ferry Point, the Aramco Team Series ladies event, was presented by the Piff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I, and that's where I, I, I think the whole... Uh, you know, the whole where's the outrage thing can stop. You know, everyone just, I don't hear you guys raving about the Aramco series. And it's like, all right, I, I will gladly put this on the record yet again as to exactly how I feel about it. I, I know it's mostly performance art. No one that is actually saying these things has actually listened to this podcast this far in, I'm sure. But I think it stinks. I think it also helps highlight how much more it has stunk on the men's side. If we're Comparing, I think the Aramco team series is pretty comparable, and Rainey made this point this week as well to the Saudi International. Like, and, and I know that's more than one event, but it's essentially like remembering back when Phil issued like the Phoenix Open to go play in the Saudi International. Like yeah. that stunk, like, and yeah. it's not to the point where the LPGA players are bypassing LPGA events to go play the Aramco series. I, I could be wrong on that. I, I don't know if all of the events have gone up against LPGA Tour events or whatnot, but. It seems to be pretty unanimous buying. There was no LPGA Tour event this past week, and yes, a lot of players that we support went and participated in Saudi sports washing in 
at the Aramco Team Series. That's just a fact. Including Madeline, who's, yeah. you know, one of our favorites who we sponsor. She came in second. Yeah. Well, we had, we had two players in total. Yeah. And Jillian. Jillian, I yeah. still think, you guys, are, I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on this. This is vastly, vastly different than abandoning your tour and the system which creates value for your fellow players and fracturing the game like it's happened on the men's side because it looks to be pretty unanimous on the women's front. That And I know for me personally, and I've said this a thousand times, the inevitable fracturing of the game is one of the many reasons why I, I think Liv sucks. And I don't think that's where we're headed on the women's side. But the only, yeah. reason that's not yeah. why, the only reason that's not why we're headed is because the LPGA and Ladies European Tour lack the power and lack yeah. the consolidated power to impose their rules and regs upon everybody. Like if Nelly Corda and Jess Corda and... All the ladies that played there this week said, you know, Brooke Henderson said, hey, like, you know, we want to play in this. And the LPGA said no. Then I think that would expedite a live women's golf. I want to be clear. I think the I think the, the, ladies golf is going to get overrun by this, but I don't think it's going to lead to fracturing. Like, I think it's going to be much closer to unanimous runaway. Saudi Arabia owns women's golf. Yeah, I agree. And it seems like they have like. And that the complete sucks. freedom to go and do that. What I was surprised at is that I, maybe it was the first time that I, because I knew I was going to be on the recap pod this week, but like looking at the purse, it's only a million dollar purse. Yeah. I'm guessing appearance fees or I don't know exactly how they. I got that. But like, what, what are we, what are we kind of doing here? Hey, I was, like, was going to say, I imagine it's appearance fees, but also like what's the composition of the, of the field? Is it just a, basically a bunch of sponsor exemptions for the whole field? And then they just pick and choose and. The whole team thing, like what's the what are the teams? I don't know. I haven't I haven't paid enough attention to the. And, and again, I think another reason to dislike live is the level of greed on the men's side. Like dudes that have already made hundreds of millions of dollars playing golf left to go play for more millions for the Saudi government. Like that, the money on the women's side is not the same. It's not the same level of greed. So I don't feel the same kind of outrage towards it. Uh, again, like I said, there seems to be like some unification on this front. That being said, I'm not gonna be interested in this or support it like i don't think it's going to be good you know i, I it's not going to keep my attention like i just i didn't i wasn't you know motivated to watch it this week uh and like lexi won so i'm extra out like so that's that's kind of you know how how i feel about it it's all very complicated and not fun and somehow this is what pro golf has turned into but it's also i mean you know at the end of the day it's like we're gonna if, if this shit's not going on we're gonna have a 45 minute pod where we talk a little bit about the Zozo, a little bit about the Andalusia Masters at Valderrama, and then, you know, probably bits and pieces here or there, and then it's like a 45-minute pot. Yeah. You want to talk about Freddie Couples shooting the final round 60 and win the... He did. I didn't see that. <laughs> wow. Uh, Adrian Otagwe wins at Valderrama. Uh, if you remember, he played three live events and sued his way into playing DP Tour uh, World events. Some players were up in arms but the DP World Tour not tweeting enough about him this week. Uh, he was one of the three players added to the field for the Genesis Scottish after appealing, uh, they appealed their suspensions for playing in the inaugural live event in London. DP World Tour members who played on the Saudi-funded Rebel circuit without permission were banned from the Scottish Open, hit with fines of 100000 However, following a hearing before sport resolutions, the suspensions were imposed on Otagwe, Ian Poulter, and Justin Harding were temporarily stayed pending determination of their substantive appeals. The hearing is scheduled for February. Otagwe played the three of the first four live events, but it is not clear if he will play in any further tournaments. That's all from Sky Sports. So 
basically sued his way into being able to play DP World Tour and then won this week. So uh, I thought there was a cool cool story that uh, Angel Hidalgo, um, I think he finished, let's see here, finished uh, fourth, uh, minus eight. So he was 11 shots back. I mean, Otagwe won by six shots. Yeah, he, he <laughs> um, Min Lee finished third. Hidalgo, Rasmus Hoygaard, Marcus Kinholt. But the, um, uh, I think Hidalgo is like 23 or 24. And this was like basically locked up European tour status or DP World Tour status for him for a while. And big like celebration afterwards and was crying. I thought, I thought it was funny, like the way that, you know, the uh, DP World Tour is like, yo, like we don't care. Like we're not, we're not going to cover this stuff. We're only going to, like we're going to be very transparent that like here's where our priorities lie. And they said that when they were even allowed back in the field, like we're not going to promote you on feature groups and or any of that stuff, basically. And uh, just it permeates through everything in pro golf right now. But I'm a little, like said, I'm a little bit concerned. My guy, Big Bob McIntyre, shot final round 74, uh, still finished ninth. But the spread between like first and tenth, or first and ninth, was 15 shots. Valderrama, it's, it's a big boy golf course. <laughs> So I think that's, listen, there was some passion that came through today. Uh, I, it was great having you here, Cody, to kind of offer a different viewpoint. I'm to trying make sure my best. I know. I, I, Let's just, it's just funny when people are like, you know, hey, you're not covering this objectively. And it's like, I, I don't, like, A, like, I try to be objective, but at the end of the day, like, these are my opinions. Yeah. This is how I feel. And, like, can't tell me how to feel, right? This is how, this is how I think that, you know, this is how this works with my belief system or with what I prioritize or why I watch golf. And like, I can't really change that. Right. And I'm, I'm not trying to be the end all be all or like people tune in because evidently they, they like, like our conversation about this stuff. And like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fake, you know, like there's certain elements that I think are very, really interesting. And like, I'm following the team stuff. And I think all like the, it'll be a super interesting off season to see like how they fix half these fucking teams because half of them are god-awful and they stink and like just how they make this into a more cohesive like objective ecosystem instead of just the the taped together bullshit that it is right now <laughs> and i will say that like f from an outsider looking at you uh i know like your favorite players that you used to watch on the pga tour all are on live now yeah, it sucks. And I know you've given you like your best effort to be invested in live and to get us invested in. It's not even the team. invested. It's just like I need well, to pay know. attention. Yeah. Like, and <laughs> I just think it's funny that you come to like the realization that you have of like, fuck, man, like I, I just can't do it. Like <laughs> all of this is so fucked. I mean, like the the crushers. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and to your point earlier, Cody, on just like not caring where the money comes from or people moving on, it's like, I think the day we don't mention that is like the day that it has worn us down and yeah. they, they win. And that's where like, I hate reiterating it. I hate talking about any of that shit, but it just seems like uh, I think that, that the, the, the league should not be presented without that because it is the fundamental factor that drives it. It is the purpose of the league. These players are pawns in their scheme. And... It is not based on market forces and business factors. Like it, the whole thing is just a big front for this enormous, enormous marketing expense. They pretend like they want to make money from this thing because if you don't, if you say otherwise, then you basically are admitting to what exactly this thing is that we all know what it is. And um, 
yeah, that's again to TC's point as well. That's how I feel about it. And um, welcome another another week's worth of shitty, shitty comments thrown in our direction. And we'll talk about it all next week. How much time are you going to invest this week to the the Twitter Twitter bots out there and trolls that are just trying to wear you down? Ah, uh, I mean a fair amount. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I do wonder what it would be like if I just never pressed the notification thing on, on Twitter. It's been... Uh, I had people I had people coming at me this week for, or, you know, two days ago, because I was like, man, I, I just, I think, like, I simply did not see this coming from Team Smash, all this stuff, and... How dare you? There were people, oh my God, you're, you know, like, some of the, like, it was almost like PGA Tour bots coming at me, <laughs> calling me, like, a live dick rider, and I was like, this is crazy, man. I know, and I know, like, it does not make for the best podcasting, just bitching about people on Twitter, but it's been a really bizarre year. It's been an exhausting several months of going through this week after week after week. I and think hopefully we can get back to like talking about some non-pro golf stuff, yeah. even on the, you know. Um, we'll get through these next few weeks and then yeah. I'm sure the live guys will just totally be quiet and just let us all continue on our way and not cause any trouble. Do you know what I am excited for this coming up week though? A fall event at Congaree. Last time, the only time that we've seen it has been a spring, yeah. or like really spring, early, early summer. Yeah. Um, but man, it <laughs> everything that we wanted last time, a firm and fast and like yeah. baked out, that's what this is going to be this coming up week. And it's, it should be awesome viewing. And we're in Korea for the BMW Ladies Championship, and we're heading out we, this week. We thought we were coming over for the CJ Cup, and then we got here and realized, <laughs> oh, no. Very unlucky break, but no, we're excited to see what women's golf in Korea is like because just watching a little bit on TV this week, flipping it on, it's like, oh, well, that makes sense that there's an enormous Korean LPGA presence because the Korean LPGA is enormous here and the amount of people at these events put live to shame. It's wild. Playoff baseball is on right now, too. We're going to hopefully go to a game tonight. So. Uh, Lil' Kimmy's... Alleged, I've gotten two. We are under a uh, uh, an advising an advisement right now because there there's planned or could be a surprise nuclear test that's going on. So very cool. And then uh, yeah, we've gotten two public safety notifications just as we've been sitting here. They're all in Korean. Uh, I've you know I got a trans I got to take a screenshot, put it in the translate app. This one was just all about cacao being down, which is like their like, WhatsApp and Amazon and all this stuff. So. Uh, Before this turns into a trap draw, we gotta go. We gotta go get some breakfast. Uh, guys, just, and the, the listeners out there, as Chief Security Officer of No Laying Up, we're, we're gonna be okay. I already have emergency action plans in place. I've got a fallout room identified. We're gonna be okay. So we'll, we'll be able to bring a podcast next Some week. are saying that the, uh, you know, the reason that Lil' Kimmy is doing these nuclear tests now is because we're over here. True. So, you know. You can see. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another week of the No Leg Up podcast. We'll be back with CJ Cup, BMW Ladies recap uh, next week. Got a fun episode actually coming Tuesday. With We recorded it last week with Jamie Weir, Kyle Porter, and TC talking about the Ryder Cup for next year. It's almost no live talk. If you hated all the live talk, tune in this week. And uh, I hopped on with three of, three of the world's foremost Rory dick riders. <laughs> I'm kind of a Rory closet dick rider, too. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you back here next week. That was Cheers. a first. That was a first time. Nine, nine, early, uh, seven thirty a.m. Monday morning. Podcast. Monday morning recording. Yeah, it's still Sunday night back home. So, final sign off. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 
Expect anything different.